Before we start this episode, I'd like to invite you to support the podcast. You can support the podcast first by sharing it with anyone who you know that might benefit from it. Also, you can join our support group. The Surviving Alzheimer's Support Group is a safe place where we gather once a month over Zoom to talk about what we've learned about becoming better caregivers and how we can gain better control of our thoughts and emotions. Also, I've recently published a free guide on how to respond to repeated questions. If your loved one is asking you the same questions and you're having a difficult time dealing with it, this guide is for you. If you would like, you can make a donation that would help me with all the costs associated with running the podcast. To find out about all of these things and more, go to my website, www.ascending-minds.com. All right, now on to the episode. Welcome to the Surviving Alzheimer's Podcast, where you will learn how to find a peace that passes all understanding. I realize that your journey down Dementia Road with your loved one is unique. As I share my experiences and the lessons that I've learned with my wife over the last 12 years on our Alzheimer's journey, it's my desire that you'll learn how to find joy and peace, as I have, while facing my life's greatest challenge. This podcast is a true story of Ken and Shanna, a married couple whose lives have been forever changed for the better because we have learned to live with Alzheimer's disease and not let the disease define us. In today's episode, we'll explore one of the early and often ongoing challenges that we experience as a caregiver, dealing with denial. I'll also share with you our experience on how we dealt with getting Shanna to stop driving once it was no longer safe for her to drive her car. This is a common place where denial comes into play. Finally, I'll share with you a few resources that I found early on that helped to educate me on Alzheimer's and dementia, as well as taught me how to become an effective caregiver. You don't know what you don't know. Before the year 2012, I knew nothing about dementia. Probably could not even spell Alzheimer's. I didn't know what I didn't know. Now, 10 years later, I've earned a postgraduate degree in Alzheimer's disease and how it affects our loved ones and those who care for them, along with a minor in caregiving and potential caregiver burnout. Prior to Shanna's diagnosis, which would occur five years later, I never stopped to realize how much our lives would and could change. We were being proactive, seeing a neurologist about three or four times a year. But since she was only diagnosed with mild cognitive impairment, or MCI, I didn't really take it as seriously as I should as I look back. Why was this? I think partially it was because I was pretty busy in my career and in our adult children and teenage children's lives. Shanna was fully functional. She only had these minor episodes of forgetfulness. They weren't alarming. 
But I think I was secretly hoping it would just go away. Or at the very least, not get any worse and stay the same. This caused me not to entertain thoughts of researching what could happen later. I kind of figured if I didn't know about it, it wouldn't happen. Looking back, I would consider I was keeping my head in the sand. If I didn't dwell on it, it wasn't really happening to us. Honestly, at that time, I just was not ready to realize or accept the challenges that lied ahead. For these few years, I was very much in a state of denial. And it was only after we received our official diagnosis in 2017 that I was able to fully accept that things were going to change and they will never be the same. And that's when I became proactive in learning about the disease and what it meant to be a caregiver. By the time a diagnosis comes, though, it becomes exponentially more difficult to get things like medical power of attorney and other legal matters signed, as well as trying to apply for and get accepted to long-term care policies and make sure you have enough funds for in-home care or potentially a memory care facility if that's in your future. So what is denial? Denial is when a person doesn't acknowledge certain facts or events, even when they may seem obvious to those around them. It's really a psychological reaction that enables a person to cope with a difficult situation that may otherwise make them feel afraid, depressed, ashamed, or worried. That there is a stigma about having a diagnosis of dementia. This is often the root of denial in the world of dementia. This stigma that is sometimes associated with dementia makes people not want to talk about it. From our experience, we chose to ignore this fear or any stigma that came along with this. When we first started telling people about Shanna's struggles and her eventual diagnosis, I will admit it was a bit awkward for us. But like anything else, the more you seem to do it, the easier and more natural it becomes. These days, when I meet people that I haven't seen in quite a few years, they may ask how Shanna's doing or where is she, and I tell them, well, Shanna's got Alzheimer's, and she's now living in a memory care facility after I took care of her for many years at home. They are often in shock, and it can kind of get awkward at the moment. I've learned to quickly dispel any discomfort or awkwardness by telling them how happy Shanna is living in her memory care facility. And I'll share with them one or two of the positive things that have come out of our overall experience. Now, denial, it can be looked at as a coping mechanism. Contrary to what you may think, Denial is not someone's deliberate attempt to deny reality. It's more likely that they're not even aware that they're in denial. They may have developed their own way of explaining or coping with things that they find difficult or uncomfortable to talk about or deal with. For example, a person may dismiss a question that they don't know the answer to as being just not important. Or they may insist that they still can drive because they've driven for so many years and never been in an accident, even though they no longer can safely drive. I'll talk more about this in just a moment. 
Can our loved ones who are in denial accept their dementia diagnosis? Over time, our loved one may come to accept their diagnosis and how it's affecting them. As their condition progresses and they start to have more problems and difficulties, they may begin to talk about it with you or other people that they trust. And these are key moments in building your caregiver relationship with your loved one. You need to be ready to discuss with your loved one what's going on and in a compassionate manner that doesn't alarm or scare them. Because as you begin to have these discussions, it will then enable you to be a more effective caregiver and advocate for them. Let's take a little deeper look on the effects of denial and the fear of the unknown and how it can have an effect on family members. First, let's take a look at it from the perspective of our loved one who's experiencing cognitive challenges and is in denial about it. This is quite common, and most of the time, they eventually do come around. I do know of a couple, some friends of ours, where one of the spouses who developed dementia was in denial from the very first signs that they had it to the remainder of their life. I often imagine how much more difficult it must have been for their spouse to be the caregiver, dealing with all the different things, like going to doctors, trying to get them help, with helping them with their activities of daily living, like getting dressed and eating and going to the bathroom, all the things that will require help at one point as their capacity is diminished, and not being able to discuss it and talk about it. It's hard enough to be a caregiver when your loved one is willing to accept help, but when your loved one will not admit that something is wrong, this adds to extra stress of caregiving, and this stress can just be multiplied and become very, very difficult and make it much harder than it needs to be. When a family can't openly speak about what they're observing because someone in the family, the person in particular who's struggling is in denial, things can't be dealt with out in the open. And usually it has to hit some kind of crisis where then the conversations can begin. But at that point of crisis, the time to prepare has long gone. How and when you as a caregiver choose to pick your battlegrounds when dealing with your loved one's denial will often determine how long this period persists. If you continue to try and convince your loved one that something is wrong, they will dig their heels in and they will continue to resist. I'd like to take a quick break here and invite you to help me out with the podcast. Would you please take the time to leave a podcast review? on the Apple platform. And if you're not using an Apple product to listen to the podcast, you can go to the Facebook group. Go to Facebook and look for Surviving Alzheimer's Podcast, and you'll find the page there. Please leave a comment and let me know how the podcast has helped you. We'd love to hear from you. All right, now back to the episode. A very common place where this can all come to a head, is when it's time for our loved ones to stop driving. For us, this was a key inflection point in Shanna being able to accept some of her limitations. 
before her diagnosis, about a year and a half before that, we had moved about eight miles away after living in the same neighborhood for 26 years. In that first month after we moved, she got lost for about two hours. She did not happen to have her phone with her at this time. When she finally arrived home, she was visibly shaken. She basically told me that she got lost, didn't know where she was, and that it was a miracle that she made it home. She prayed for help to find her way back home. At that time, I just attributed this to, we just moved, and she didn't know her way around. What I did to fix this, being the engineer, is I took her Garmin GPS and I set it up in her car, and I showed her how to use it. And she could always press the home button and it would get her home. So I kind of chose to be in denial that this was related to her early signs of memory struggles. It was just a few months later when I received a phone call from her. And she was hysterical and totally confused. She was lost and did not know where she was. I tried my best to calm her down. I asked her, hey, what do you see? She said, I see a church. I said, okay. Do you know the name of the street that you're on? She did not know. I said, well, can you go find a sign? She was so rattled, she could not think straight to just drive to the nearest street corner. So I told her, okay, get in the car, drive to the next intersection and pull over. And she did. And then I got her to read me the street signs. I looked up on my phone how far away that was. And I said, hey, be calm. Just stay in your car. I'll be there. It's going to take me about 15 or 20 minutes to get there. I hung up the phone and dropped everything I was doing, and I drove as fast as possible to go rescue her. And I took advantage of every single driving skill and trick that I learned and developed back when I was delivering pizza in New York as a teenager. But only to get pulled over by the local police halfway there. I can only imagine what the police officer thought when I told him my sad sob story about trying to rescue my wife who was lost. Anyway, I got a ticket and this became a $200 and a half a day in traffic school lesson in the School of Hard Knocks. Well, when I eventually met Shanna, she was still somewhat rattled and she followed me home. This was somewhat of a wake-up call for me. And from then on... I would make sure I was in the car with her if she was going beyond our immediate area within a few miles of our home. And this eventually turned into me driving full-time for both of us in the months to come. It was during this transition period when she would sometimes grab her keys and I started arguing with her and saying, hey, it's not really safe for you to be driving alone. Remember when you got lost? Well, this led to some heated debates and was not very productive, and actually caused quite a few arguments. And after a couple of times, I realized this was not helping. So what I started to say was, hey, let's go, let me come along with you. So I would sit in the car, and on those drives, I would sit in the passenger seat. And I started to notice that her reaction time had really slowed down. And it was starting to get a little bit dangerous for her to be driving, especially during rush hour when traffic was swift and hectic. In my mind, I was like, okay, now it's time to start being proactive. 
So I started to volunteer to drive us both everywhere. And after a few weeks of this, she didn't really express her need to drive. But every once in a while, it would pop up. She was still in denial about it being safe for her to drive. And if it came up in a conversation, I would always say, Shanna, I trust your driving. You're a good driver. But it's the other people that I don't really trust. And often this would diffuse the argument. This came to a head, and about six months after her diagnosis, when we were sitting in the neurologist's office after she was evaluated, and he came out and said, she should not drive. Well, this made Shanna furious. She was so mad at him. Actually, in the office, she was arguing with him, and I just kind of sat there, and I didn't say a word. I didn't want to get dragged into it. We left the office, and she was telling me the whole way home, I never want to see him again. I'm going to prove him wrong. She was on a mission. Now, at this time, she had not driven for about nine months. I was hoping she would forget about this, but she brought it up multiple times a day for over a week, and I was getting worried, so I hid her keys as a precaution just so that it would prevent her from taking off without me knowing. When it became apparent that she was not going to let this go, I caved and I said, Okay, Shannon, why don't you drive to the grocery store, which is about two miles away, and it only required two turns. And I told her I would just quietly sit in the passenger seat. And she said, Okay. And she was determined to prove to me that she still was a safe driver. She was doing better than I expected, especially since she hadn't driven in nine months. And I was starting to think this was going to blow up in my face. When all of a sudden, a loud sports car came up behind us, went around us very quickly and cut her off, all while the driver had his hand out the window flipping us the bird. To be honest, she was going the speed limit, and I don't really know what his problem was. Could this be proof that God works in strange ways? I'll let you decide. We soon arrived at the, the grocery store. She was a little bit rattled, but she was willing to drive home after we picked up a few items. Leaving the store parking lot, she turned the wrong way and did not realize it for almost two miles. I didn't say a word. When she asked where we were, I kindly said, Hey, Shanna, you turned the wrong way. You just need to make a U-turn. She was able to get home, but during that ride home from that point on, neither of us said a word. As she pulled the car into the garage, she turned off the car, handed me the keys, and said, I don't want to drive anymore. It's just too stressful. As we walked into the house, I offered a silent prayer of thanks. And I told her, I'll support your decision, and that I had no problem driving us around. And that was the last time we ever talked about her driving. And I have driven her everywhere for the last five years. Now, this is something that eventually all caregivers will go through with their loved one. Taking away their driving ability for our loved ones is like taking away one of their last things of independence. And it is a significant milestone on Dementia Road. What are some of my takeaways? At the first signs of any cognitive issues, 
you should drive with your loved one on a regular basis just to monitor how they're doing and if it's still safe for them to be driving. It's better to be proactive and not wait until an accident occurs. Don't argue with him about this. Don't let it become a wedge in your relationship with them. Early on, offer to start driving from time to time when you're together and eventually take over that responsibility once it's not safe for them to drive anymore. If you need to, hiding the keys once it's unsafe for them to drive may be helpful to letting you know if they're trying to head out on their own, but be careful with this. If this happens frequently, it could cause more problems. When it comes to having someone officially tell them it's time to not drive, just let the doctor do it. Let him be the fall guy. This keeps you out of the line of fire for the most part. Finally, don't speed on your way to rescuing your loved one. The police really don't care about your sob story. Now let's look at this from the perspective of you as a caregiver. Why might you be in denial about what you're observing with your loved one? Well, for me, I've come to realize that this was basically my brain protecting me from experiencing and realizing the pain that will come with my wife having some kind of brain issue. I was like, if I don't think about it, it's really not happening. Out of sight, out of mind. I was just hoping it would go away. Well, when we choose to live with our fear of the unknown, the choices and decisions we make do not serve us well. Any decision that we make in this state of fear will not be a decision that helps us move forward. Now, the key difference to realize here is that you can change and you can learn to face what's going on head on and get things moving forward with your loved one. Now, they're most likely not going to be able to get out of denial by using logic or reason because their brain's not capable of processing it. Once you accept that you'll become a caregiver and you'll become the advocate for your loved one, you can begin to start to move past denial. And then once you've passed denial, you can help your loved one. I said I would share just a few resources that have helped me early on, and they continue to be a great value to me. First is the Alzheimer's Organization. You can go to their website at alz.org. They have tons and tons of resources and material that will help educate you about Alzheimer's, dementia, what are the differences, what are the different stages of the disease. They have support for those who have Alzheimer's and also support for those who are caregivers. You can get informed on what's the latest research that's going on. Most importantly, they have a list of local resources. And you can find the local chapter of the Alzheimer's Association and what programs that they have in your area. They have a 24-7 hotline that you can call. I only called this one time. I called it at a time where I was having extreme anxiety after a day of dealing with some extreme behaviors that my wife was exhibiting. And I had no one to talk to or turn to, and it was like 10 o'clock at night. And I had just left Shanna. She was screaming at me. She was very upset with me. I had no one to talk to. I called them. 
they were very helpful. They calmed me down and helped me to have perspective and regain my composure. Well, there's two of my favorite trainers who have businesses that are set up to train caregivers. They also have an extensive amount of free material on YouTube. The first one name is Tipa Snow, and you can go to her website, T-E-E-P-A-S-N-O-W dot com. She's got a training program for at-home and professional caregivers. She uses a positive approach to care. Her YouTube channel has so many great videos where she explains and demonstrates dementia behavior. She actually has a gift for acting out and demonstrating what it's like to experience dementia behavior and help you to interpret it in a positive way. Another of my favorite resources is Dr. Natalie Edmonds. She has her Dementia Caregivers YouTube channel and a Facebook group that have helped me so much. Her videos are very informative. Her Facebook group currently has over 7,000 worldwide members, and it is a safe place to vent and to learn, to understand and share what you're going through and have other people who've been through it to help you out. You can find more information at her website about these programs at careblazers.com. That's C-A-R-E-B-L-A-Z-E-R-S dot com. All right, well, let's recap today's episode. When we initially start down our journey down Dementia Road, we don't know what we don't know. It's not uncommon for us to deal with various forms of denial along the way. While we cannot control or force our loved one to get past their denial, we can work on our own selves and get past denial and see things as they really are. And then once we get past denial, we can be patient with our loved one and compassionately help them to eventually get past their denial over time. By not putting our head in the sand and educating ourselves, we can eventually conquer fear of the unknown. By getting involved in your local and online support groups, you can realize that you're not alone in this, and there are many, many people who are further along their journey on Dementia Road that are willing to help you. And in time, you'll eventually be able to help others. On that note, if you're finding some value in listening to the Surviving Alzheimer's podcast, would you please do me a favor and share it with your family members, your friends, and others who you think would benefit from listening to this podcast? As always, thanks for listening, and be sure to follow the Surviving Alzheimer's podcast. That way you'll be notified when new episodes are released. Now on our next episode, we'll resume our backstory, and I'll discuss what I learned during the mild cognitive impairment or MCI stage leading into early Alzheimer's stages up until Shanna's diagnosis of Alzheimer's disease. Until then, remember to take it just one day at a time. Give yourself grace. Realize that you're not alone in your caregiving journey and have a blessed day. Before you go, I'd just like to invite you and remind you of the things that we have to offer from Ascending Minds, LLC. You can go to our website, 
www.ascending-minds.com and you can register for the Surviving Alzheimer's Support Group. You can register for our newsletter. You can also get a free copy of the guide to responding to our loved ones' repeated questions. You can find links to all this in the episode description, or you can just go to the website and look at the menu. Thanks again, and we'll talk to you soon.